Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, psychological health, physical health, emotional health, awareness in men, women and society. First, it started with MAN, M-A-N, the acronym for Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself? Hello, Andy. My name is Marcia Mar. I'm a peace ambassador, multimedia, multicultural artist based in London, born in Brazil. You're born in Brazil. Born yes. in Brazil. You're in London. I could hear an accent when we were speaking earlier, but I just wasn't sure. Brazil, right? It sounded um, quite. It sounded quite um, Caribbean. Um, your accent. So, you're in London. Whereabouts in London are you? I'm in Twickenham. Twickenham. Near Richmond, near the park and the deer and the squirrels. The <laughs> wildlife of London. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the listeners out there, you know, because I always say this, because this is going worldwide, can some people, some people know London, but um, most people will say London and they will say um, Big Ben or somewhere like that what, what where you live where is Twickenham in in relation to London all right uh, I used to live in Brixton Brixton is the Brooklyn of London and it's very much at the heart of it then where I live now is more like what used to be countryside but this is is the outer London and it's a very quiet area has Richmond Park Sir David Attenborough lives here and has his production company. So it's a very green, green area compared to most places. And the, the River Thames is a big feature of the place. So people have um, an ancient connection with the river, uh, go for walks in the park. And there's small uh, center towns, which is like, you know, more like a village. But it's still London. It's a different uh, face of London. Yeah, so different kind of flavour. So it's so it's not is it not so? Yeah, I say it's country. It's more countryside. Is it not so busy as like um, London city centre? No, <laughs> not the day I passed by Brixton, and I was just remembering, wow, my God, this is so exciting! It's like every single step you move, you know, there is a choreography, a dance, someone expressing themselves, something happening, and uh, it's so so. I I feel like. Um, if we look at ourselves uh, in whatever situation we are, as a cell of a, a, a great organism, let's say the heart of London is Brixton, it's like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and where I am, it's pro- probably the spleen, you know, it's just like <laughs> someplace else. <laughs> all valid, all equally important. Imagine the cell of the base, you know, the, the, the sole of your feet when you walk. Rejoices yeah. uh, at, at its existence, like we rejoice at our own existence on Earth as human creatures. So, if we look at organisms, every part is equally important, equally uh, relevant, and similarly unique. You know, there will be no heart without the cell of your toenail. There will be no toenail without the brain. There will be everything is connected, and that's why we are multicultural. And we have uh, diversity in our culture, religions, and so forth. So yes, when I, I was born in Brazil, I live in London, and I love London because it's the most multicultural city in the world right now. Before it was New York and Paris. Now everybody from the world is here, so you, we get to meet everybody without getting the jet lag. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you're, by the sounds of, sounds of what you just said there, and you've put it quite eloquently, you're, you seem to be quite spiritual um, in terms of what you, what you speak about dance and, and things like that. Would you say that was, was, was true? I think it's true about all of us. You know, when you see a newborn baby, can you see anything more spiritual than the little wonderful life looking into your eyes when they can still, when they start gazing, you know, because they're point where their view is just, and their, their entire system of senses are connecting. Initially, all the babies have synesthesia, all the senses are connected, mixed. So when they say a, a sound, it tastes like something, it feels a different temperature in the body. And then start learning a culture from our parents and the people around us. So these newborn babies in the world, they are highly spiritual. So are all of us. You can call it spiritual, transcendental, transcendent. It's like the little cell in the foot and the little cell in the eye or the brain. It's, it's like us. All of us are aware that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, be it constellations or smaller particles, energy, waves, knots. So we actually are part of this amazing multiplex of the totality of our being. And we know it truly when we are newborn babies. (laughs) Then we grow up to believe in whatever we believe in. Remember, belief affects our biology. The thematic of your work and from what you described, the work that you have done before with families, shop protection, with the gangs, uh, people involved in gangs and how that affects the community. You can see that we are all interconnected, that what affects one person affects someone else. Also, what heals, what, you know, when we pass the love around, the healing around, it, it goes all different directions as well. And this is where we see that we're all highly spiritual. Our voices, our love, our presence, the food we cook for one another, most of all, in these particular complex times, we really reevaluate it. I love that you mentioned some other speaker was doing the washing up, because for me, it's quite sacred when you actually have had the meal together and or, or alone, and you have cherished what you have put in your body's energy, and you are going to wash, and then you're aware of the plastic and, and, and recycling and the whole world, you're connecting with everything. So sometimes even doing the washing up, is a highly spiritual activity. Depends on how we take it. Yeah, definitely. We, uh, some people take it as a what you call a chore, and they don't want to do it, but they have to do it. But some people, I always said, and uh, don't don't quote me on this, anybody. But I always said that when I like ironing, because it's because it's quite therapeutic, and that's I think that's kind of kind of connected sort of in terms of spiritual spirituality. Kind of you find you kind of you flow and you, your thoughts start to come out when you when I start to iron um, but don't uh-huh. anybody, but uh-huh. anybody, don't anybody bring me any ruffled up clothes because <laughs> <laughs> can you go deep into your philosophy I brought two shirts <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're from Brazil um, and where, whereabouts in Brazil are you from I'm from Porto Alegre city. There, there is a magical river, River Guaiba, where my mother was born by beside the river. And the 
midwife's shack. The roof was flying when she was born, doing a tempest. And when she passed away recently, I did her ashes ceremony in the same river. Yeah. So this river is very sacred to me. And I find, you know what I find adorable is when I go and visit places, I, I ask people, the first thing, like once I went to meet some uh, uh, writers and, and, and Brazilian, you know, uh, artists in Amsterdam, and then we we went to a pub as soon as we arrived from the airport, before, we just left our luggage at the place where we were to stay. And we went to a bar. And then I went to the bar and I asked, can I have some of the river water? And what's your river? <laughs> and we have two, I don't know which one we drink from. <laughs> <laughs> and then, wherever I go, the first thing I do is touch the soil and I embrace the trees, embrace the people. If a during pandemic is not something you can do, so you can just send your love uh, from your gaze. Yeah. Uh, but I drink the local water. And in Porto like the city in Brazil, the river Guaíba, is um, is it's like it was an estuary part of the ocean. Its geological qualities is like all shapes of water, right. and and is a magnificent, a wonderful river which I am very connected with. So we have a poet who passed away, and this poet Quintana, Mario Quintana, he used to take his visitors to Porto, like because Brazil is like full of wonderful sceneries and places to go with perfect beautiful beaches. It's just like fantastic. Porto Alegre is not like that. Porto Alegre is, is a different vibe. But so oh. <laughs> it's in the south, near the Gaucho land, we call it Jota Che, do you know what I mean? It's just like, uh, you know, Che Guevara, is, Che means, you know, uh, what you say before a name or, or you will make a, a comment, you say, Che, this sounds wonderful. We're going to talk about mental health. Che, this is marvelous. So I come from that area in the south, where we have mountains, we have we have beaches and rivers. There's nothing compared to Bahia, to the places up north, magnificent. So this poet, Maya Quintana, he used to take all the visitors from the other places in Brazil and from abroad to the river Guaíba and 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 show them the sunset there. And used to tell them, this is the most beautiful sunset in the world. That is a bit like a joke for us because it's like we have nothing else to really offer compared to the rest of the country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do, we have yeah. beautiful culture. But what was poetic about this wonderful poet saying that if he didn't believe, he's the most humble person, if, if, you know, if you read his writings, he's so humble to be able to walk, to do the washing up, to exist. He lived to a very, very uh, uh, later age in his life in which he became even more transcendent his, with his poetry. But he was that kind of person who's so humble and beautiful and, and, and acknowledges the leaves when he passes the ground, the people. Um, that when he spoke about the most beautiful, he wasn't talking about her, you know, hierarchical orders or whether there is, you know, where, you know, it's a joke. Where is the most beautiful sunset in the world, wherever you are? Yeah, <laughs> yes, so true. True. Wherever the sunrise beautiful, wherever you are, because you exist, and so is everybody else, and so is everybody else's religion, practice, perspective. It's all uh, complementary. The liver t has a different perspective of the body than the kidney. And if we talk to each other, like, mm, I do not know if I want to talk to you, kidney, you look a bit strange to me, and you got two of you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know I me. Mean? It's just like if one hand tried to struggle the other hand, the whole organism can grieve. So it's about time we understand not only among ourselves as humans that we have to find more ways to love one another and and 
deconstruct all the things that didn't work out, economy, politics, you know, change things, uh, hierarchical orders, all those principles that actually have affected people. And see the beauty and the, the integrity of this totality of our being, how diverse we are, how beautiful. And then moving to love interspecies, really acknowledge the existence of other species. We will not have pandemics again when we respect and treat other species in the way that is accordingly. You know, there is a, a, a joke in psychology because in psychology we understand nowadays that people do not hear the not, the don't. Yeah? Yeah. Our minds are, are in a way, they are very practical. It's like if I say, think of a red balloon that's floating above your head right now. And I say, do not think of the red balloon that's floating above your head right now. You still hear the red balloon. So uh, our ancestors did what they could in terms of translating the transpersonal, the sacred, the underst- what they understood that. So when we actually look at the question like, what part of thou shall not kill don't you understand? The not, the don't. Nowadays we understand humans have that difficulty. Yeah. So when we talk about preserving life, when we talk about Noah's Ark, which was uh, written as a story in Gilgamesh, which is uh, 1,500 years prior to the Old Testament, so it was embedded in our mythology. And many cultures have the story of the flood and the salvation in terms of humans seeing its own role uh, as being able to navigate the difficulty to save all lives, yeah. all different species lives. And and this is the arc, it's like Earth. So now we are here to save all species, ourselves, we understand our power and we understand in a positive form, we shall preserve all life. And we have the mechanism of even bringing to life creatures that we have already committed the terrible uh, act of extinction. We humans have committed more than murder and genocide among humans we have extinct species in this planet. That shows us how tremendously powerful we are. So when we go to the direction of where we want to go, where is the happiness of all and contentment is taken into consideration. Our areas of specialism in our intellectual development to become more integrative, our collaborations, open source research, if the pharmaceutical industry does not work for us right now, there's no trust, then let's establish a new work in which the pharmaceutical industry is owned by state-run universities that are all in collaboration, borderless, yeah. in open source research. What are the solutions? What can we hear that we will hear the whole of the project and feel like, yeah, permaculture. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry being part of universities right now is a, you know, because everything has a need for self-perpetuation, everything we create, like plastic. Three generations ago, uh, dear listeners, you remember that your grandmothers, grandfathers, great-grandmothers, great-grandfathers, we have planted the food, if you had the the owner to actually witness that is, is an amazing thing. Yeah. Grow the seed. So imagine, you know, uh, the level of satisfaction of all that delay pleasure, where you plant the seed, which you got from someone who gave you as a good seed that has been in their family for generations. Yeah, yeah. 
and you grow the food and then you eat together you 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 you, you harvest it in a way that you can preserve as much as possible of the preservation of life and multiplication of life which is not only our human multiplication of life is a part it's all life multiplication of life is a part and then they bring that amazing vegetable dish whatever to the table where the children i remember me and my cousins we were peeling cassavas and peeling potatoes and peeling the pumpkin my grandma don't know allow us because it was very hard but we will learn from early age she's like You know, I remember it's like 20 kids on the table. You know, it'd be like 15 of us plus the neighbors, plus the friends of the neighbors, and we all eating together. Everyone around the table eats together. My grandmother will not have exceptions being made. If someone was passing by, if someone was cleaning the garden, someone was uh, hungry passing by, everyone sits at the table and eats yeah. at the time of eating. Community spirit. And that there was no plastic. Then my mother went to the supermarket and bought things with the. Uh, you know paper bags and then eventually plastic bags now plastic is in everything but there was a time that there was no plastic yeah in supermarkets there was a time where we could buy things so why are we plastifying with the micro particles and, and objects you know causing harm to the ocean causing harm to the circulation the rivers the waters that we are we're 70% water so this is where our transformations coming in and our mental health depends also in the way that we construct our stories in which directions we want to go if we have hope and individual and collective form and if we are creative enough to actually take to the next dimension of the steps of humanity yeah yeah so true and you you've you've obviously grown into a person that's gained knowledge over the years um Mm -hmm. on spirituality and and like you say your your upbringing what was you mentioned a little bit about your life growing up what 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 are some of the other things that what made you get into or become is it was it a cultural thing was it something gained from was it something handed down um or did you just find yourself as a person that was guided by um you know, some sort of spirit yeah spirituality It's an interesting question. I do not know ending how to respond because everything influences everything. Mm. I remember missing arriving late for school once because a bee was dying on the street. Mm. And I didn't know it was my you know I didn't know how to address that. I didn't know if I left in the hot pavement or if I moved to the grass, if I prolonged its suffering or if I helped it relieve the heat or the chance of being smashed by a, a car wheel. And then I sat there with the BNT stop moving, you know, because I could not get it to be on its legs or it was really dying. And I, I spent a long time, I arrived at school and the headmaster told me off because he said, you're late, you know, and I, I had my reasons. So is it the B? that told me that is the existence is the spirit the spirit of all of us the fact of our being is it my sensitive child in the world that has witnessed death in different ways and, or is death itself presenting itself for me to understand it in different levels every child comes across death in a different way we now living during the pandemic times 
we are all connected in the world. We want all our beloved people to be all right all over the world. It's uh, tragic. And I tell you what, I have love for the bacteria, for insects, for viruses. I regret that we have either, you know, we do not know yet the cause of this pandemic, but certainly we should not be going to areas where we either intentionally or inadvertently if we cause by contact with animals because we are exploiting and being cruel to animals or if it was done in a lab accidentally or intentionally, we are not to meddle with nature to that degree, to the degree of destruction. And for the wonderful readers uh, of, of, of literature, self-help, and you know, you find your way, sometimes it's, spoke, it's spoken from the inside out. And sometimes by the tips that someone can give you, like I'm telling my experience. So my experience with the bee may relate to your experience with the aunt or your experience with the, a dog, something in your life that was meaningful in that way. So each one are storytellers of the story we have collectively and individually. Yeah. Listeners, beloved listeners, I alert you to actually pay attention that most of our culture is based on seven plots of Greek historical placed particular cultural specificity type of narrative or films or adverts or they all repeat the same thing the hero the tragedy the, the search the return the overcoming the meeting of the inner self the you know the, the dark self the negative darkness not that applies um <clears throat> so we have to be very careful that we have lost the multiplicity of our thousands of narratives because we have been repeating just one and if you look at the dna any repetition that is done casually without paying attention unravels the dna like the telomeres that hold the, 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 the DNA on their ends, is like the shoelaces, you know, the little hard part that holds it. Yeah. Well, our storytelling makes us want to leave or not. <laughs> <laughs> because we are, you know, we are so multiple. There are multiple universes, as we can conceive now, before it was a universe, before we didn't know there were planets in other suns and other stars now we are discovering all this multiplicity we are considering leaving the planet leaving mars visiting mars in 2033 and going back to the moon it's okay but let's sort ourselves out here like we have this amazing range of diversity many people nowadays with mental health issues or not are going towards food and herbs and if we take the chemical of the food, it already helps. It takes the plastic out of the breathing and the, the food and the oceans, it helps. Yeah. And then have contact again with nature without this huge plastic between us. This plasticity that I'm talking about, the plastic, is not just plastic per se, but it's our own encounter with the world that is mediated by this plasticity of our narration. And when we are free and we're able to see the symbols are everywhere, we choose which narrative will be good for everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> because 
horror movies. And, you know, I remember when I was in Malaysia, I was seeing my nephews playing with video games. It was the first time in my life I have seen human beings playing with video games. So I went to them and I just saw what they were doing because I'm, I'm from the time my grandmother listened to the radio. Talk about transmissions, you know? Right now you are transmitting through um, podcasts. Yeah. You're transmitting and have much more reach before. It was very few people who transmitted and very few, a large number of people received, but it's still the transceiver, um, transmitter, it, you know, it was uh, democratically still in the shape of a pyramid in a way. Mm-hmm. So the, so my grandma listened to the radio and she was really thrilled to discover new music from the northeast of Brazil, little areas that she didn't know, you know, and she used to cook and dance and uh, she she passed away at 99 and she was caught wow, in the kitchen doing the washing up and dancing three months before that and everyone went to her come on grandma what are you doing because it, they didn't want her to do that yeah. to be doing the washing up and then she said oh come on i've worked all my life leave me alone i want to do the washing up you know it, just, it was it was happening her meditation and stuff many historical moments associated with that that were very important to her. So that was magnificent that she had the joy of being dancing. And I remember her dancing, uh, listening to the radio, cooking and uh, catering for, you know, her 10 kids and all those informal foster kids that people drop on her door dying because they thought that she was a healer and then and then all the kids around and my grandfather used to tell her you know the little boy under the table playing with the kids and the little baby in the bedroom they are not ours and they're not neighbors yeah. <laughs> and they've been here for a week yeah. so this is dangerous and she said we're 15 to 28 and that was the feminine power you know take away rationality you make magic add more water to the beans add more food and everyone can eat and I, I, I feel like this moment, historical moment, we have to look at the obvious changes we need to have in society. First of all, the male social order that imposes masculinity, which is unreconstructed and has been a patriarchal social order of oppression of both men and women, have to go. We have to have an egalitarian society. So 50% of women in political representation is the minimum we can have. If it was to be reparation, would be 100% of women for thousands of years. Yeah. Let's say, you know, black people for 500 years. It's just like you have to have a form of dignity. But what we want is equality. Everyone around the table, like my grandmother, used to have all the children, all the people on the table. Everyone was hungry, sit and eat. The food belongs to the earth, belongs to all. And, and then when we have our collective intelligence getting together, having different voices and having different perspectives around the table, some kid, you know, in Uganda is going to discover the cupcake that cures cancer in combination with some kid in China who's obsessed with, you know, replacing sugar for something that is more nutritious. And here we're going to heal all the ones. And it's going to be unexpected because we can communicate in a way that my grandma only listened to the radio things that were emitted, that were filtered. My mother then we had, you know, television and and and, and telephone at some point. And then but before that, we were able to communicate regardless, you know, transmit culture. But now we have this massive so we think on one hand we have the pandemic, on the other hand, for the first time we can, you know, have this podcast google your auntie and you know be able to find out if your friend that you haven't seen for 10 years is still alive 
find them on some social media. It's the first time we can connect uh, openly in all directions. Still quite a lot of the knowledge that is shared is filtered by the economic system because there's more investment on marketing and so yeah. forth. Yeah. But some people get viewers because they actually are truthfully sharing their heart, their concerns, uh, like yourself with your views, you, you know, your passion about uh, the human mental health, which everyone has uh, potential to transform oneself and collectively by understanding the beauty and the power of it. So words transform our biology. And this is when I invite everyone to be more playful with words, to be very careful. Again, in religion was already said, in all different religions, if you haven't got anything meaningful to say, don't. You know, yeah. in doubt, yeah. don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not loving, if it's not truth, if it's not beautiful, why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because we can, we can also listen, isn't it? Yeah, words are very powerful, very powerful. And like you said, we've got to be careful with what we say. Yes, and when we work with ourselves and children, most of all in the education of children, we are co-opting these wonderful, very wise human beings into our social, cultural perspective. And you tell them it's this way, not that way. For things like, you know, this berry is poison. This berry, got vitamin C. Great. Beyond that, most of the things that we actually are fearful for are our own interpretations. We have no natural predators. Most animals that are, uh, could potentially be our predators will have an interest in a boar rather than us, in a pig. Bless the pig. But is. Um, we are not delicious because we're in the top of the chain. So, you know, a crocodile, a tiger, um, anyone basically, a snake, will, will pass by us and says, no, it doesn't smell delicious. Yeah. <laughs> if I have someone else, I'll have someone else. <laughs> a spoon, but not human. So we are actually in paradise. Most of the things we can actually eat in the planet. Not to say that we should have gone and eaten everyone to death, literally, you know, to extinction of species. Um, Many people are becoming vegan and vegetarian at birth. You know, they actually are refusing or they have lactose intolerance. Then they go on to say to their parents, I am vegan. Oh, I don't know, eat, eat animals. And then this is quite unparalleled because in the past, people could not come and give their opinions as a child. You want to eat. Yeah. You sat at the table, you're quiet, you eat and you're grateful that you have something to eat. And you get beaten if you don't. So we have moved on to hearing more of the new generation. The new generation is very wise. They have intuition. Yes, very and wise. When we very, are very wise. Very wise. Very wise. They are very wise. I've learned so much from three years old. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, when I was six years old, I went to my mother. She was having tea with her friend. And the bitter tea, you know, like we drink from the gore in, in the south of Brazil and yeah. um, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay. You have probably have seen sugar virus in sipping something from a straw metal. It's very bitter tea. Anyway, but it's very social. It was uh, a tradition of the, uh, the Amerindian people before. There's trees and this tea. This tea is very, very, very good for us, very health-wise, important for us. <laughs> But it's a social gathering, you pass around, so it's a different kind of tea that you drink and you pass. 
she was drinking with her friend and I went to her and I said look it bothers me that my bones are going on different rates you know the left leg and the right leg and the, <laughs> I could feel it because I had anesthesia yeah. and and um and and hypersensitivity to my my inner uh, existence I says that's okay I says but I realized that I'm changing I'm changing radically I didn't say radically I just said I'm changing a lot I'm becoming more like you adults so I realized that government I didn't know I lived in dictatorship at the time you know I wasn't fully aware of six uh, Brazil was under dictatorship at the time Yeah. which I got involved as an activist later on to transform into democracy. Anyway, but I told her, I said, I believe that only people up to the age of six can be in governments. <laughs> All right. I didn't even know we didn't have the right to vote like all humans in Brazil in the context of dictatorship. I didn't know children didn't have the right to vote all over the world or be elected. I didn't know that, but I just thought that Before I change into you, adults who see the world from a very, very, very strange perspective, yeah. I I understand that all governments should be like I was ages at the time. I just thought up to the age of six. Before that, you still see the world in a way that you love everybody, independent of their background, their accent, you know, the, the tonality of their skin, the, the the beauty of their being. You love everybody. So up to six is fine. Then you start adopting the, the human culture of your parents or the circle where you live in the world, you know. And then you start seeing difference and you start, you know, deconstructing that openness and then and seeing things in much more objective forms. You actually, uh, the brain of the child starts changing, you know, she sees a supermarket and starts associating with the sweets that you buy. So it's like, becomes funnel tunnel vision yeah. and 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 we associate before you see a butterfly you want to run after the butterfly and figure out where it's going so it's much more open so this this intelligence i had at the age of six i was telling her and my mom was like oh she's so innocent <laughs> and then her friend says oh what kind of world are we going to have the one with hundreds of flavors of ice cream and i look at her and says isn't that better than war <laughs> She said, "I vote on you, kid." I said, "No, I'm already six years old." <laughs> <laughs> so you would you would say then that you've got a you from a young age then you've had a a quite um a, what what we say I call it a, an old head on young shoulders. You saw the world um, well that's, much further advanced. That's how it. I when I when I was given I I used to bother my parents so much about words and I watched TV and I was in disagreement with most of the things but anyway my parents gave me a dictionary you know they kind of decided to do this they gave me a dictionary and they told me you know the words that are in alphabetic order or, you know you learn the alphabet so all the words this is the fattest book we have in the house and all the words are there so you can find them rather than query them you know yeah. what word meant what because I got very confused one day I was watching TV and you know uh, the news are very partial and they never consider the fact that children may be watching but basically there was this program about oldest men dressed in civilian clothes coming out of this is what I saw coming out of airplanes helicopters going all over the world wherever there was war right yeah 
So there would be it would be the Middle East, there would be Africa, there would be places there's like this this man coming out of their plane. I you know, I, I didn't know it was just man kind of thing. Again, it was it's a human being, I just saw it. Okay, there are people who go wherever there's war in the world. Doesn't matter, they don't see borders, they don't see you know, they don't see difference. They go wherever they're needed. So I went to my mother in the kitchen, she was doing the washing now. And I said, mommy, mommy, I know what I want to do when I grow up. Yes, love, what do you want to do? I want to be a mercenary. They go everywhere there is war to make peace. <laughs> <laughs> my mother was shocked. Says, oh, baby, you're so innocent. It's not what they are doing. They don't go there to help everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she used to get horrified of my, my mis, mis, misreadings and misinterpretations. So I got very confused with that mercenary thing. I just thought like, what? what, what? There's a word for the people. And I asked her, what's the word for the people who do that, who go everywhere, you know? Because this is what I saw, people coming out of airplanes, coming out of, of, they were not military, they were civilian clothes and they were, you know, jumping on jeeps, going everywhere, where, you know, they did those horrible explosions and and scenes of war. So I asked her, she said there was no name for it, you know, for the person who can go everywhere and make peace. Uh, you can call it peace ambassador or, you know, but these are just people who represent the idea of peace. I'm just thinking about go there physically and stop everybody. Yeah. <laughs> with love, just love, just come out with your civilian clothes out of the plane and you go there, just love everybody and they all drop their guns. So I, I realized if there is a word for mercenary, but there is no word for the opposite, then the thing is with words. So my parents gave me the dictionary because I, I became very reluctant about words. I became very uh, interested in words. They gave me the dictionary to find the words because I kept inquiring them about everything that was said in the news. Um, and, you know, I remember when I was saying to my mother, what is introspective? She says, it's the kind of thing that you are. <laughs> I didn't know what he meant. <laughs> anyway. So basically, and, and, uh, so, so basically, the, in a sense, to... the dictionary fitted you. Then you would say the dictionary well, one, fit with you. Auntie, the dictionary when they gave me was like, oh, you know, it's like when, when you see the light. It's just, yeah. I open it and it's like, not only, not only the. Yeah. <laughs> this light shining. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was what was beautiful is like and then he told me they told me like it was like a top secret thing they were going to do a revelation this was a revelation to me they said not only the first letter the second the third the fourth all the letters are actually ordered alphabetic it was like no <laughs> everything is here all the words in the world <laughs> yeah and they said uh well no uh actually just the Portuguese Brazilian words used at this time. I was like, uh, but who do I write to if I want to change them? And this is when my father, my father, and my mother, they look at each other. They were like, um, well, it's not done quite that way. It has to become part of the culture. And then over time, you know, the country. But now we have Wikipedia. We have flexibility in culture. Do you know, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. think of my little child over that time thinking, I know how to change the world. We just have to put more good words and take bad words. Andy, when we look at the words that express emotion in our vocabulary of emotion, the pie is 75% negative. We have more words for horror, fear, 
you know, dreadful things than we have for pleasure and good things. Mm, that's interesting. You know, when we look at love, for example, for instance, agape love, love for humanity. Well, there is love for Earth, Pachamama. There is love for the stars. Now we recognize we are particles uh, and waves simultaneously, and there are the multiplex of possibilities. So what's the name for those loves? You know, the love for the microscopic and microscopic, the love for what is beyond our senses. You know, we make them up. We keep on loving, and the more we love, the more we get there. Stopping wars among us, fighting for territory or for potatoes and carrots, it doesn't matter, you know, or microchips for computers or oil. It doesn't belong to anyone in particular, never to a private property. We look at slavery now and look back, you know, Africa is still paying Europe the debt. That was incurred, you know, it's, it's... this is this is schizophrenia in society terms. You know, it's just like nothing makes sense. So the nonsensical start making sense of itself. And we need to look at ways in which we can heal, we can have recognition, which a lot of layers we are doing Black Lives Matter all over the world, and we are recognizing all the different levels of equality that need to be delivered. That's why I mentioned 50% of women, all different governments right now will change the world, will stop having war, and will invest in education and care because we are accustomed to that. Yeah. Accustomed that it take ages for my mother, my mother and my grandmother to grow food, to serve at the table. You know, imagine right now in so many countries in the world, there are those, you know, grandparents and, and parents nurturing the earth, trying their best to get a bit of water, fresh water, and a bit of food to their kids right now. And the kids are dying and a bomb explodes or, or, or someone takes a, an, an armament of any form and, and ends their life. It's, it's madness. Yeah. In the same earth where we are wasting food and creating carbon monoxide with the food waste of factories that cannot sell you a perfect banana. Because, you know, and black bananas are not perfect. They actually got much more uh, nutrients and they're much more important to our health than the ones that look yeah. yellow and yellow. are like green yeah. in the supermarket. Yeah, they do. So, so what happened to us is our connection with Earth, our relationship where it needs to take this plasticity of our narratives that some people deserve more than others, all the justifications of hierarchical orders, competitions of our and transform into a corporation of a multiple collective intelligence. And there will be so much fun because we, now they're manipulating DNA. It could be that the next generation decide they want to have wings, and they will. Do you know what I mean? So for us to just have distribution, equality, <laughs> love each other with respect as the form we are, soon we will be able to change our organs and then live in other planets, if we wish, without having digestive system because we can manipulate the DNA. We can become a hundred times more intelligent the next generation by just addressing nutrition. So imagine if you put a chip in the brain. However, no one wants to live forever in a world where children die of starvation or war. There's something on our organism that does not allow for that. Eternity for some and early death by others. The breath of life is everyone's right, animals included plants included, the breath of life, which 
we have witness with Black Lives Matters being the causation now of an epidemic and because the air is to be pure, only us are contaminating the air to this level. Nature will not have done ever. You know, a virus will not transmit from one species to another species just like that. It doesn't happen. So we are so powerful to transform ourselves that it's more like what and who are you? What do you want to be? What are you passionate about? Sometimes it's totally logical. You may think like you're feeling depressed, you are alone, nobody understands your perspective, and you feel like, well, so what's the positive aspect of that? I have a wonderful, unique perspective. We're all similar, unique. And you could be the person who is able to find the cupcake that's going to cure cancer. Do you know what I mean? It's just yes. like removing the sugar, but making a little biscuit that people will eat daily that will prevent and cure cancer. And this is the beauty of our diversity. So wherever there is pain, like I had a pain around war, there is a healing, like a herb, beside it, a herb that hurts you, beside it in the wild, there'll be a herb that heals you from that herb. Definitely. Definitely. And so when did you, when did your, because I was going to ask you two things, because you, you mentioned that your grandmother, people thought your grandmother was a healer. Do you think, first thing, do you think that you take a lot of what you a lot of who you are and what you are from past generations like your grandmother or your mum. Do you take a lot of it from that? Or And and the next question was, um, do, you, do, you see, do you see yourself as a healer? I think a lot from, we all stand in the shoulders of our ancestors. They walk a very, very long journey to preserve humanity, to engage with reality, to transform reality. And until the previous generation, we didn't know how much effect we had on each other and the world. We always blamed the gods or, <laughs> yeah. you know, some yeah. other tribe, you know, it's just like whatever happened to us, you know, we, we attributed cause and consequence in a particular way that made us feel uh, blind to what we now understand. So I take a lot from previous generations and and I, I urge you all to pay attention to those details. You know, sometimes people use the word shit, feces, as a negative word. And I wonder why, because if you have care for someone who have died, you remember the last time that they actually had to go to the toilet. If you're the one cleaning, you feel blessed. Because we only shit while we are alive. Mm. So the way we use words are very much on that vein. In terms of being a healer, I did not understand that concept because I was brought up in a city. I got involved in politics. I was very skeptical of anything that was not visible, you know, something that you cannot prove in science. So I come from that generation, you know, first uh, going to university and be able to actually look into the perspective where you can see a grid and you actually compare, you know, tendencies and, and, and look and analyze things from a, a 
multidisciplinary approach is still very much like on the borders of the reality that we all agree and conceive. In terms of being a healer, my grandmother told me once, I asked her, grandmother, what is to be a healer? She says, oh, it's not the kind of thing you want to do. It happens to you and you know how. (laughs) So she used to uh, let people tell their troubles, almost like a psychotherapist. And then she would do a little crochet ball of different colors. And then she will, you know, while people were doing, she'll meditate and do a little, a little crochet balls. Then she would then put them on the being above the kitchen and pray, you know, is is syncretism, you know, it's Catholicism via also understanding on indigenous roots of prayer and you know, praying to nature and so forth. And she she would pray to those little balls, and the children want to jump on the table and get the balls. And she said, no, don't touch them. So she had her reasons. Once she finished praying and the person came back and said, okay, it's okay, it's healed, it's cured, whatever, she would take the little bowl and she would decide whether to take it, to bury it under a tree or or in the sea. And this is all like real wool. You know, I'm talking about wool that is made from, you know, animals that you know their names. (laughs) Yeah. And... And then I asked her, I says, but what is it with the crochet? She says, Marcel crochet was my thing, you know, my passing time, my way of listening is my thing. It's, it's just said, like, we'll come to you. If you have anything like that, we'll come to you. Because she also will uh, suggest that we drink, we drink water from the rain when we have certain conditions, then herbs and, and of course things that we know nowadays are very good, you know, for, for health, urukum, is antioxidant and all kinds of things that is um, ancient traditions know. And science does not know yet, and when he gets to know, he starts, you know, implementing. But we should have more nutrition and herbs in our uh, daily relationship with nature because, you know, the, ke- the chemical and the plastic go in the way of us relating to something that is very important to us. Meals are sacred ceremonies as well as uh, nutrition and, and experience. So my grandmother told me that healing... And it's like, she says, you, you know, I says, all of us are potential healers anyway. You know, it's something yeah. that everyone can do to each other. And when we exchange energy, we are healing, we are loving, you know, yeah, yeah, many yeah, things right. happen. That's right. So yours may be words and it might be interconnectivity of people. Then you can call yourself a healer if you wish, if that is, is how you would like to call yourself. Because you heal through weaving narratives. And that weave of narratives is a safety net for many people who are suicidal. Many people who do not know where to go, and you go like, okay, I'll pause here. I'll look at the intricacy of this weaving. (laughs) Maybe there are some gems and something I can take with me that's nutritious, that's good. And the person will reconstruct their own fabric of their own self, you know, in the context. So you could call that a healing process, what you offer. With me, it happens that I... I've changed epigenetically. I speak simultaneously or sing simultaneously to any human being in any of the 7,000 human languages. So I have changed in our evolution, linguistic leaps. We start, you know, speaking speech at one point as a species. We went on to uh, develop writing as a way of communication. What I can do is when I stand before a person in the gallery and I'm a peace ambassador, ask them to just speak in a positive form. Either good memory or their wishes for peace, their wishes for humanity, whatever. But to be concentrated so that they can spend 
that half an hour, 10 minutes, whatever they wish to, only regulating their mechanism of dealing with their chemistry in relationship to the words in relationship to their relationship to the world via me giving them a mirror back. So I simultaneously speak what they're saying in any language. So that is a qualitative leap. And when it happened to me, it happened like on my way, the, I, had a, I was on a bus on my way to Brixton. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody in the bus, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. everybody in the bus speaking a different language. So there was this mother, the Somali mother, looking at her adorable baby in the pram. You know, like when you're balancing the pram and you have to get it, you know, stable. And there's another person wanting to squeeze another, another pram. <sighs> And then she was talking to the baby in Somali, that gentle, loving voice of a mother. Um, and then there were some people talking in Russian, some people talking with, you know, Jamaican accent, some people speaking in Japanese, in, in Chinese, in, in Polish, and um, in Yoruba. And, you know, just that mix inside the person on the phone in Yoruba. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this bus and I feel the love for everybody I had a, a recent loss at the time you know I just uh, I have, many people have died in my life and and this person who passed away my beloved one told me forgive forgive because you can and he was trying to say many people cannot you know, for the wrongdoings that some people had done to me but he also said love 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 everybody the way you love me because you can and when I was in the bus, I was missing him. And I saw that population, you know, really, it's like London is the most multicultural city in the world. <laughs> Wherever you stand, there'll be someone serving coffee in the morning and talking to you in Mongolia. There's someone in Arabic. It's just yeah. like that. Yeah. Cacophony of wonderful sounds and languages. So the bus turned into a concert. And I was hearing all these voices like you hear birds in the wild. And I was loving everybody everybody no matter what they were saying you know and all of a sudden i could hear their voices reverberating in my head yeah and i felt an intensity of love so great and i had tears in my eyes then i turned around because i know what is to hear voices i've worked in psychiatric care before when you are suffering from schizophrenia or experiencing schizophrenia, you don't have to necessarily suffer from it. You can experience and control to a degree. Um, so I knew that wasn't it. You know, it was not hearing voices in that way. And then I turned around and I started speaking whatever they were saying, and you know, I switching language to language. For a period of time, this sensitization, which was new to me, is biologically functionally my brain changed completely my body my heart rate was calibrated to people's heart rate it was just like this is an intense sense of empathy neuro mirror empathy when i expand my love i reach places in which my words and their words become a musical and i had to wear headphones for a couple of weeks first because the voices were it's almost like you if you get new equipment you do not know how to control the volume yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i wore headphones now they're 
headphones, the silent, uh, you know, sound. But at the time, it was just headphones that I made them kind of, you know, cover my ears as much as possible. Yeah. Because I could only hear from a certain distance or a certain volume. Then I start calibrating volume inside my head. And then, and then it changed into this like wonderful loving experience. Every time it's like a symphony. Every time I hear people speaking, it's, it's like we're in a beautiful musical. And the more languages, the better. So I told my mom, Mom, this year, I was, when I saw it coming, it's 2012, I said, this year in the galleries, I'm going to speak 80 languages. And she told me, well, you speak three, Spanish, Portuguese, and English. You're speaking on the, um, you know, through the monitor. And she says, what do you mean you're going to speak 80 languages? You mean eight? You're going to learn more languages, you're going to speak eight. And in Brazil, we have this expression saying that you either eight or eighty. You know, just like yeah, <laughs> when you exaggerate, <laughs> or you're like, I'm not doing anything, and then all of a sudden you are organizing the concert. It's like, no, I'm not, not going to get involved in it. So we have this expression. So she says, you either eight or eighty. Says, what do you mean by eighty? I says, I mean, I'm going to speak eight languages, but I'm not going to learn them. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, how? I says, oh, I'm going to do the gallery. I'm going to buy this about peace and I'm going to say whatever they say at the same time like a mirror and she was like what's that as far as my thing I realized what my grandmother said if you have a thing it comes to you you understand you realize yeah. my thing was not crochet you know my thing was to mirror people in a way that my mirror mirror empathy which is a new word for explaining how we learn from each other how we copy each other is intentional and I can expand it and therefore if I can everybody can so yours of networking and, and putting voices together and weaving is amazing it's that's your crochet so it's like my grandmother was saying if you're a healer and everyone is potentially a healer you'll find a way and the way will find you so I mean, just to complete the story about speaking simultaneously yeah there Initially, I didn't know there was another human being on the planet who could do the same thing, so I thought it was a little bit weird, and that's just because mutations happen, bifurcations in development happen, sometimes simultaneously in different places. You know, you hear about people winning the Nobel Prize in different, from different countries discovering the same thing in physics, and they were not relating to each other, they were actually keeping secret. So what happened is that sometimes we have spontaneous developments that happen in our humanity in different places at the same time. So I never heard of any other human being who, who could do what I did. And I gave a radio interview for Shoreditch Radio uh, with a lovely uh, gentleman who then asked me, have you ever met anyone like you? I said, no, no, it feels lonely. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to meet somebody. If you ever know somebody who can speak simultaneously to people, I really like to pew-pew with them, like pew-pew-pew-pew, you know, like <laughs> yeah. to see where we go with this. And then he found someone. There is a gentleman in the United States. He's 83 years old. And I found him on Facebook. Can you imagine? Like, ah, uh, you are another member of the tribe of two. Let's find the others. Yeah. <laughs> Let's expand and take over the world. Let's expand or share, you know, because uh, me and him, if we die, we don't share this skill. Then it becomes forgotten. 
you know, may re resurge in 200 years time. But if we share the skill, everybody can experiment at home. I, I've done a workshop with actors and they really love to, to do the workshop. And they feel emotional, tearful to try to fully listen to someone else without judgment, without thinking you have to say anything at the end. You're just fully listening to someone else and get into their wavelength and then you get into their heartbeat and then you are one with you know like two cells of the sometimes two cells of the liver meeting each other going hey hello let's try it dance yeah. together in the same vibe so this gentleman uh he's in the united states i have not met him physically yet after the pandemic i hope to to meet him and, and, and embrace him and his family he kind of invited me for christmas bless um so it's my thing i was then I tell you something that happened to me in Brixton again. When I lived in Brixton, I was meditating at the roof terrace of Brixton, of a building that is near the market where all things happen. And I heard the song. You know, Brixton is like, there's a boom, boom, boom constantly because there are many recording studios all over Brixton. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. <laughs> in bed. In basements, you know, it's just like in, in pro professional spaces, but also there are many artists in Brixton. Brixton is like amazing. So I lived in a place where we had a communal garden. Uh, everyone had a little space, but it was all shared at the same time. And I was there meditating, meditating with the snails, with the bees, with everything. Then one day I was meditating. And the ants, you know, when they lose their wings, they covered me. And I, I was with my eyes closed and I had to have the sensation of the little ants uh, uh, in the passage in their lives and death as well. So one day I was meditating at the roof terrace of Brixton when I heard a sound that was coming near me. And I heard a sound sounding just like this and i heard a sound a sound saying b b b b b just b b b just b b b it was a wasp and i eat in in that what happened is i had my eyes closed yeah. i wasp and a bee i didn't know it was wasp i just heard that they sound very different they moved towards my ears simultaneously. They both entered my ears simultaneously. And the wasp, which I only knew afterwards when I opened my eyes that there was a wasp, you know, touched the hair inside my ears very gently, turn around and move out. Um, you know, front. And the other one was the bum. You know, bump-wise, it was just backwards, walking backwards. And they came out and it was buzzing again. And when I opened my eyes, they were at the same eye level as a person would have been if someone was meditating in front of me. You know, two, the bee and the wasp look like two eyes. You know, yeah. what I urge you all to try at home is if you have a beloved that you trust, to just be silent and sit in front of each other and look at each other's eyes to the point that both people's are looking at each other simultaneously because we tend to flicker one eye the left eye look at the right and then the left eye look at the left eye you know we flicker we, we change we move 
you have to find a symmetry, whether we're glasses or your eyesight, you know, you have to find a place in which both of you can see. This is a lot of accommodation for one another. A lot of love going in. And it can be done with little children, with senior people, with anyone that's comfortable sitting in a chair, sitting in front of each other. We just look at each other, sit on the floor, in the grass, in, you know, forest somewhere. Look at each other's eyes until both eyes are looking at each other simultaneously. I guarantee you, you see the universe. It's one of the most delicate, beautiful exercises that anyone can do. And I was taught by someone that one day I explained, uh, I'm writing a book about. Anyway. So the beam wasp, they walk, when they came out and they were at the eye level in which I could conceive them as two eyes, it were like two pupils I could see the universe in both of them. Simultaneous universe, multiverse, God, goddess, whatever you want to call it, the totality of our being. I could see on them reflecting to me something I recognized, which was they recognizing me, is my interpretation. Yeah that I could speak simultaneously to people, but nobody was speaking simultaneously to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting at me lonely. <laughs> I could do to anyone in any language, but people could not do back to me. So they actually did as an interspecies communication. Enter my ears simultaneously. And they were just kind of playful in there. I was saying something which I could not understand. You know, I, I had to have my hands up words when I meditate. So I was not analyzing anything, but there was that need, that urgency, I wish I could know more, understand more, but it was sufficient for me in that moment to have this great happiness. And when I saw that they were at the same level of the eyes, and then they departed, they spread, they went left and right. But up to that moment, they were doing a choreography that only I could understand the magic of for me. Those simultaneous eyes and pupils entering my ears simultaneously. I can appreciate. Other people may find scary. Other people may find it's just, you know, the buzzing of the creatures entering your ears, something that you may not tolerate. For me, it was a blessing. It was beyond explanation. Uh, the eyes, the pupils that I have learned from someone else in an experience I had when I was a child, it's, it's something so powerful and so profound that when it's done interspecies, I understand that it's beyond just my interpretation. And this is when I saw, yeah, maybe I'm a healer, you know, maybe I have this connection, which I could not comprehend as a rational person, but maybe I could comprehend as a, as a child. And my, my work uh, at the moment, it's uh, very interesting with the pandemic. I cannot speak simultaneously to people in person, in galleries right now. Yeah. So I have to find another way to enjoy the sound of humans. And then, like here, we're clapping in outside the window in the, in the you know, the balconies about the NHS, the people who save lives. Yeah? Yeah. So I start hearing new acts of human kindness, new acts of interconnectivity. And I've been doing a lot more live, uh, not live interviews, remote interviews and, and remote work. Then I realized even when it's mediated by the material aspect of the body or voice or soul or, or magnificent message to one another of love, even when it's mediated by technology, is the love that goes through it. 
And just like the sugar during the sugar plantation transformation of the cuisine of Europe, and, and people are not paying attention exactly where it's coming from in terms of slavery, we have to understand that the very technology we're using nowadays, the components of it, they come from raw materials, they come from countries where people are being oppressed. Yeah. They themselves are not benefiting from it. So we have to turn this sacred, almost like, you know, if we're using it, we are not raping the earth and, and each other, the violence. So in the, instead, instead of actually copying an old culture where, where, where all those values are totally useless, you know, they, they just create exclusion. We can rejoice in individuality because humanity has not had the idea of individuality for a long time, you know, before people were forced into marriage of families which will, you know, have similar plantations or something like that. Uh, it was more a marriage of convenience. Also, people didn't have social, social stratification was controlled, there's caste systems, there, you know, ways in which people look at each other, that there was no social mobility as much as there is today. Yeah. So today, when we spread the social mobility, we can we can rejoice at the individual and the collective simultaneously. To be individuals is magnificent. Nobody's like you. My mom used to say, if you look at your fingerprint, only you have that fingerprint. And if you look at the sky, and you look at the cell in your fingerprint, they're all connected. So she was talking about the microscopic and microscopic being connected. So there's so many dimensions to this, is which story is good for all of us, you know? Yeah. Often people say, Marcia, why don't you get into politics? You'll be the ideal North American president, you know? First, because I want to change the word America. America Vespucio does not represent our continent, the entirety of our being as people, and it is about time we exercise democracy across borders to define ourselves. So let's name the continent something different. Second, if you want me to be a president of any country, is a very, very, very thorough admin job that needs to be done based on a lot of research, a lot of humility, a lot of humbleness, you know, a lot of, of, of love. Uh, not only for that particular group of that country, but for the people who relate to that country. So it's like someone say, would you like to look after the liver for four years constantly? <laughs> I would say, only if you vote on me in consensus. If the entire population of one country in the world vote on me or anyone via consensus, voluntary consensus, not in the dictatorship consensus, yeah. consensus where everybody feels like, you know, right now, I like the New Zealand uh, <laughs> experience to be transferred to a lot of countries. Yeah. I wouldn't mind her going around being shared <laughs> if she was okay with it and the population of New Zealand were okay with it. You know, it's just like, do you mind sharing this expertise, please? And then, you know, the, the, the method. Because we all benefit more lives. In, in the UK right now, sadly, one in a thousand is dying of coronavirus. And this is because of our mismanagement of the situation. So I would love to have anyone managing the situation or changing the systems in a way that's manageable if people want to work in different structures rather than government. But right now, anyone who's want to be in government, you know, who, who it doesn't matter anymore, borders for me. I wouldn't mind the New Zealand president being the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. I'll be very glad. 
Mm. Not being selfish, I also like that that she goes to the United States and Brazil and so many countries in Africa that have a different experience that can prevent so much at this stage, you know, before they reach the points in which we have reached ourselves. So it's about time we share intelligence and we and, and we, we forget about the old models, you know, it's just like do they make sense? They did at the time for ancestors, we thank them, we forgive them and we forgive ourselves. We are here to filter and to transform reality. Radical. Yeah. So you're, you're, you've, you've grown up and you, you just spoke about things like transformation, um, transformation in humans, transformation in people. Um, and you, did you say, you, I'm sure you said that you were, you've been in politics. What, what are some of the things that you've turned to and then you kind of found your calling? Do you see what I mean? Because Quite often we don't find our calling, sometimes we don't find our calling at the beginning, we kind of go through, like you said, different transformations. Um, when did you, just talk about some of the things that you've been, some of the jobs you've done or some of the work you've done, and then kind of, I'm trying to figure out when your transformation occurred. Was it was it when, you know, somebody, something happened with somebody tragic or something happened to you? What, when did your transformation occur? Maybe different occasions. I uh, I tend to move away from the narrative of looking at how tragedies transform us because of the mainstream narrative. People always say, I suffer, 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 and then I'm with it. Um, but of course, I'm a human this century, so we all have a degree of suffering that is sort the stretch or envelope of how we bear it. We find resilience or we break down. Uh, we find ways of transforming it. So when I realized, thanks to a, a history teacher, she, she when I was in school, she wrote lots of names of books on the blackboard. As soon as she finished writing them, she started erasing them on the other side. And we didn't have time to copy. So we were complaining, we were telling her, you know, kids just like, oh, sorry, sorry, no, they will copy. Teacher, teacher, we're not able to copy. Just precisely, I want to tell you, all these books are forbidden. And she erased them all. She couldn't speak to us openly. But that was her way of telling us, you live under dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. It was genius because we're like, what? They're books we cannot read, why? Who said it? You know, just like, what, what, what? We woke up with her very way of showing that she as a teacher is frustrated that she wants to show us what it is out there as a term of knowledge in terms of knowledge but there was there were restrictions in the books that you can read or not whenever people tell you, you cannot read certain books be very mindful of that aspect of oppression because you can read or choose to read or not to read anything like in culture as well or spirituality and nobody can tell you can be that filter for you you know, uh, age appropriateness is another thing. But basically, it's like um, that you choose, you're going too deep into something that you know that the direction is like, you know, conspiracy theories or uh, whatever, you know, different interpretations of reality that are more disastrous. We live in realistic times. So people talk a lot about disasters. It's like if things is going too much towards the pain, do you really want that? Come back to, you know, homeostasis at least. Or pleasure, find a way in which you can offer something to society. When you see a gap, when something you don't like, go there and try to move it, change. So 
I was once coming back home and morning complaining to my mother. She was doing the washing up. Many things happened during the washing up in my family. <laughs> <laughs> It's a sacred ground. Actually, when I go there, I, I really I take my time and I wash everything with mindfulness because I know I have insights. I have tremendous insights when I'm doing washing up. And then when I so when I was in Occupy, I was cleaning the toilets. You know, <laughs> my my idea of leadership is that I relate to the bacteria. I understand what's going on. If there's too much suffering, I will realize because of the state of the toilet. You know, it's just like so. This is where I go. This is where. So it calls up on me where I need to go to relate to people. There are hundreds of you know of, of people using those toilets on a daily basis and thousands and so on. And we had to we had to gauge you know the needs of the people in terms of food, in terms of uh, quality of bacteria, and, and clean the toilet. And, much more constantly to be able to actually uh, cater for that population trying to find a new form of democracy together it has to be pleasant when you go to the planet kind of thing anyway so when i was a child i came back home and my mom was doing the russian up i look at her and i said mom and i started spitting out all my understanding that everything was wrong with adult society dictatorship brazil you know everything is like i just discovered all this stuff i didn't like much more depth now <laughs> and I was just telling her and she told me something that was very wise and very kind she says Marcinia no offense to shit no offense to flies but sitting on top of a pile of shit counting the numbers of flies make a difference to the size of the pile of shit or the number of flies at least <laughs> not to say your experience <laughs> yeah. and I was like Wow, criticizing, which is an art. Many people become art critics, you know, political criti- critics is, 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 is part of the majority of the press. But I realized that what could I do with it? You know, no offense to anyone, what could I do with it? So I became involved in the Diretoja movement that ended the dictatorship in Brazil. Initially, all over the country, there were just like few people getting together and then kind of saying, no, this needs to change. Since the 1960s, uh, before I was born, I, uh, you know, dictatorship was happening in the country but the, to the degree that you know they have hijacked the wars. The typical things that happen, they call it, uh, they, you know, th- that they have elections, which is they elect themselves within their closed doors, and we say we want elections. So we had to change instead of calling for elections because as we have it, <laughs> it's like I'm telling, it's super madness, you know, oppression. So we found that the way to call for direct elections now, because this is we will give at some point. So it's just like now, so we have direct elections, direct like us voting, not you voting for yourself. Elections now. So I got involved with the movement, and I remember when the artists were having all these manifestos, which I'm highly involved at the moment with manifestos. It's very important for artists to manifest the new. So uh, at the time when I was. Uh, Asking the artists that were meeting, you know, there was like the African group towns, the, you know, the, the, the student union, you know, full of stuff happening in the newspapers that we wrote. And then I asked the artists that were having those meetings, always trying to find a manifesto. It was so deeply philosophical. I would wait for them to have a coffee break and say, can you make me good glue? You know, the one the police cannot remove from the walls. <laughs> I just want good glue. Yeah. <laughs> can you do that as artists? Can you as artists make me glue? 
I can put a poster and the, the police will not take it, you know, like half an hour later it's dry, you know, at least, you know, as dry as possible and it doesn't uh, require much work and you know how it is because it was dangerous, the papership, you, 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 know, you get arrested and, and disappear somehow, get tortured, killed, kidnapped, all kinds of things when you go to politics. And we didn't have like nowadays, you know, social media and stuff, which things can be done so much easier with communication. We had to put posters on the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, share leaflet in dark corners leaflets of roads. You know, go leaflets and posters. Go to yeah, and go to meetings, underground meetings. You know, with the unions when you want to organize a strike and stuff like that. Everything's sec- secretive, and then nobody could tell each other. This so is like, I don't know how we made it. So initially, people say. O que vocês acham que vocês vão fazer? Vocês são meia dúzia de gatos pingados. What do you think you're gonna do? You're half a dozen of wet cats. I remember that people call us wet cats. You know, like, because we had funny haircuts or no haircuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they just said, you know, half a dozen of, you know, wet cats. Going to do what? Meow? Then we turn into dozens and hundreds and hundreds of thousands and millions. Then we occupy the streets. And being the feeling like a bacteria in the leg of a caterpillar is is to be part of a generous strike that stops the country, and we are all peaceful, you know. And we have people who want violence and be able to stop the violence and say, "No, we are here. Your mother could be here. You sure? You from the military? These guys want to be here, you know, trying to start a fight uh, when your mother, your sister could be here. Society's changing. Make your own choices. So to convince even the people who being Oppressed, you know, working in the military, who torture people, who are sent to disrupt strikes and 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 act as civilians, disrupting so the blame could be put on civilians. We had to stop people like that to ask them, what about your individuality, your choices? You know, what choice do you make? And also the collective, what do you want for society? We have to commune with them in a circle around that person, remove them like a immune immune system removes a cell. We had to ask them in kindness to transform themselves because we all transformed. And I remember this guy was crying as well as the, the military police in the legislative assembly. There, They were not legally supposed to be there ever, but they were there when the Londoners movement was um, trying to make a statement. And we, as students, we had to look at them in the eyes and say, are you sure you want to do this? You know, with all our love, it's like you know, from a human being to a human being. And I remember meeting someone later on who asked me, Marcia, you did the work in psychology before. My my wife is very worried about me because I keep a machete, water, and, and, and you know, for the end of the world, I keep everything in the basement and I just have to change when the expire date is coming close. And she's very concerned about me that I have a machete under my pillow. And I asked him, have you ever been as I say, she's, she's very right to be concerned about you. I think it's very, very, very useful for you to seek help, assistance, because what you are, you know, expecting, um, it's uh, it's probably based on a trauma. So, asking, have you ever been in a situation of trauma before? That you, you know, your gauge, your gauging of what could happen as kind of being you know, out of balance. And then he told me that he used to be uh, working in the armed forces in Brazil and he was one of the people who were sent to the Amazon forest to torture people and who cut people's hands and and, and fingers and, 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 and damage their bones, uh, you know, just 
you know, there's the Russian roulette, there's uh, all kinds of things that people do as games. So he told me, he says, isn't that what Brazil is, Marcia? We are, we are a mixture of everything. We're in a very small car. He was kind of very gentle, you know, taking, giving us a lift back to London from a, an event. And everyone in the car was just looking outside the window, feeling very uncomfortable, all squashed inside this little car. <laughs> and then <clears throat> I felt so grateful that he could open up with me. And I told him, I says, well, I was, it says, you were one of the ones torturing. I was one of the people protecting the torture. You know, I was one that the general told me, you know, aren't you concerned about your life or your family? That kind of threat. And I told him what my grandmother would say to any kid that said words that were inappropriate. I said, uh, you're sounding very bad. Now you're sounding worse. So when I was in a situation, I tried to write poetry. I try to engage with people with words, which is what I can do. And other people were doing other things. And this is when the artist created the glue that was the magical glue. Ten years later, I found it. One of the posters was still in the door of the cafeteria, which is the back of one traditional building of architecture at university. Mm. I don't know if they still have it, but ten years later, it was there. And I was like, because they kept as a historical moment. I was like, ah, look, good glue. <laughs> <laughs> So shocked. each one of us has, has you something. You were shocked to see that then. Tro- I was so happy. I, I, was, I realized, yes, it's okay. If you ask, you know, I asked for good glue. It was a good historical glue I was looking <laughs> for. You know? And it happened. It happened. Little kids in university, you know, just becoming adults with posters, with hope, with love, with the people from the unions, with indigenous people, with... Um, the landless movement people with people that were suffering, black women, transgender, homosexuals, anyone in the context of suffering that were pulling together to say, come on. You know, like uh, if, if a whole family has to work the land and doesn't have enough to eat, and it's someone else's land, there's something wrong with the system. If the family then moves to the city, and try all the best with all the kids working and still they don't have enough to eat. There's something wrong with the system, not with them. And this is how we transform Brazil. Hundreds, you know, thousands, millions of people on the streets saying enough is enough. We want something new. And that now uh, needs a revival of that sense of integrity, of collective integrity that looks after the well-being of all of us. Because our differences, develop perceptions let go of them. So that was one moment of transformation for me when my mother asked me, what can you do about it, you know? And I realized it was on the intersections, moments where, you know, there could, could be violence and I was there. So I was not a mercenary who went to different countries to save lives. But I, wherever I was present, I would use the words to soothe and to transform the situation, to create a new storytelling. That guy who left the crowd, who had a metal bar on his arm and he had shaved head, he was from the military. He was kept overnight without food or sleep. Him and the dogs and all the other soldiers. You know, his his biochemistry was totally affected. His mental health was totally affected. Just like the guy who told me about the machete. You know, they are forced to do something they didn't want to. When you work, as I have, with former child soldiers, 
you know, that happened quite a lot in some of the wars and that Africa has witnessed very sadly. They are forced to kill their family or to witness that killing and then go on to kill another family. And then they feel like they have no longer the right to criticize. Do you understand? Once we've done yeah, yeah. what the people criticize. So every time I commit, uh, I'm in a group that wants to commit an act of violence. I'm not different than the one I'm criticizing, the government that's oppressive. So I had to bring that back to the organism and say, I feel like if you were to use nails for buses, or the ones that wish not to take part on the strike, will put the driver at risk, will put a person on the streets at risk, then we'll become the very people we criticize. Yeah. We are we are not to cause harm to anyone. And we are intelligent enough. You know, we have Christ, Gandhi, you know, so many examples. <laughs> Maria Teresa of Calcutta, so many people who have done before us, I'm standing their shoulders. We have those examples to say there are different ways of doing this. You know, I don't want to be the one that causes that. So uh, what can I do in these circumstances? We can have different ways of dealing with this. And we didn't use the nails at the time when I was involved with that organizing this track. You know, use cross nails to be able to put in the front of the wheels. So you stop the bus moving and it's like, no, that will be an imposition. We have to find always the board and the way in which we can all do the dance. You know, that everyone feels enlightened. Everyone is part of that dance. Everyone can have its own movements and that movement in a way is going to connect with all the movements and is going to offer something that everyone thinks is palatable. And what is they have sometimes not palatable to me, I have to have emotional intelligence to be able to know this palatable to someone else. If I do not understand why wheelchair access is important, I'm going to inform myself. If I do not understand why black matter is important, I'm going to find out and inform myself. Because in our ignorance, we keep simplicity of excuses for us not to grow in the totality of our being. And that is paradise, is a magnificent contact where everyone can take to the next level. So even in politics, when I was involved in politics and I went on to become involved uh, after the Gireta Ja, I came to England and I involved with the Occupy movement, Extinction Rebellion, Black Lives Matter, in the way I can performances, you know. <clears throat> I also keep a level of safety and performances uh, a good balance there. And I am involved with any human movement that stores peace, you know. I, I, anyone who welcomed me to go and pray with any, any any religions, any faith group, I will pray for peace because another beautiful experience I had as a child is uh, I was brought up by parents who believe in freedom, yeah. independent of their beliefs. They were very keen on freedom, although they said, you know, we can only change so much ourselves, each generation has to add on. So they didn't use physical punishment with us like their parents did. You know, it's something that generations pass on and then they change. <clears throat> and also they didn't want to impose their belief systems on us. So although I went to Catholic school when I was to do the first communion, I said to my mother, I choose not to. I believe that all different religions are valid and, and I do not believe a child who is not baptized does not go to heaven kind of thing. 
So I do not know how much I want to collude with the church <laughs> in yeah. certain things yeah. and how much I believe in you know, Christ and in the church are separate kind of experiences. Because my mom used to ask us to make, and she says, okay, Christ was fantastic, very humane, wonderful, wonderful. So let's bake a cake on his birthday. And every Christmas, we had this, you know, a new layer of cake. Me and my younger sister will bake the kids, you know, just this was our Christmas gift to, to Jesus. And we will share with everybody afterwards. But what was beautiful is at one point, it was like turning like the, the Tower of Pisa was just going sideways. We had to put chopsticks. So <laughs> he says, Mommy, Mommy, do you think Jesus really need, need, need all this sugar? <laughs> Can we stop baking the cake? Maybe just kind of send good wishes instead. <laughs> just all right then. <laughs> yeah. So I, I believe, like all of us inside, deep inside, like the children, we understand that. We, you know, once there was a, this two. Young, I couldn't speak much English when I arrived in the UK. So it's just like there were these two young men fighting, discussing the Israel-Palestine situation. And I didn't have any English to actually after the argument. So all I did is I asked them, you know, I, 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 I felt kindness towards both of them and empathy. So I just asked them, I excuse, I said, excuse me, excuse me. Now you sit there, now you sit there. Like ask them to sit on a different chair, you know. The opposite chair, the chairs in which they were originally seated to exchange. Yeah. And I says, now you born to you born to his mother, you born to his family, you born in you know where he's born. Now you born his his family, you born in his now talk. <laughs> yeah. And then I could see that they had empathy. You know, when one was uh, uh, talking about the sadness of being a family in Palestine with the occupying territories and you know, and, and family members being killed uh, and, and having fear and not be able to, to, to even have uh, trade, you know, you know, food on the table the way that you wish that you could, certain items not being able to pass and so forth. But basically, you know, seeing relatives dying in their homes, uh, being olive trees being dug from the ground, you know, great great grandmas have plucked that olive tree, you know, and yeah. how there someone will takeaway. So when you actually, the, 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 the Jewish uh, protagonist was entering the character of the Palestinian, he was able to actually feel the olive tree, feel that uh, relative would die, you know, because he now was talking, my mom did this, my, they, were, they had perfect English, I was the one who was a little bit <laughs> out of the picture, but you could communicate and as he was entering and he had to speak of my mother rather than your mother my mother had to help my brother when he died my mother when they start talking like this and equally when the the, the palestinian was able to as a jewish uh, protagonist was able to talk about his mother and her concerns and and why is it that she wanted to return to the promised land? And why is it that she wants her son to be in the army? It was something that they could relate to each other. Now as two humans, two young men who were just trying to make sense of the heritage, you know, living in the same space. Yeah. You know, and both both people of the same land, eating the same food, loving the same sky, sunrise and sunset, and being divided by a history 
which is based on our interpretations of something we do not have a full account. You know? The promised land and paradise is here for everyone. Earth is magnificent. Life thrives here in a way that is amazing. And we have to stop comparing ourselves to animals saying we are superior. You know, this blinds us (laughs) to the understanding. I do not know where my spirituality begins. Does it begin with uh, me in the womb when I was in the river? Does it begin with the the bee dying in front of me? Does it, you know, I, after I spoke simultaneously to people, I I had a near-death experience. I died in 2014. I died and returned. And it wasn't the first time. So it's like, is it death that instructing me? Is it life? Is it a combination of both? The causality where this message, that we are all messages and messengers speaking simultaneously, doesn't need authorship. No. You know, when we talk about the ultimate, the totality of our being, or God, God as universe, multiverse, yeah, yeah. doesn't actually want naming it. It's just having fun, loving fun with the existence in all its dimension. And we are it. We are part of it. We are uh, entertaining it. We are imagining it. We are experiencing it. We are being it. In whatever way our senses permit and our storytelling. And, and it's, it's varied. We can change. And our emotional state is the bundle of wonderful chemistry that changes and exchanges information with electric magnetism, with the environment, with the information that we filter. All of that is this then newborn baby inside of us, every breath of life, because the breath of life is everyone's right. And every breath of life that you take right now, is a new, is a new perspective, is a new way of being. Yeah. And this is the creativity that takes over. Because once we start comparing on artists, but I believe in that, but then I change my belief, and then I change my sexuality, then I change my ideas, and I change... What it is, is like, it's natural. Change is a part of life that we change. Oh, before I didn't like these people, now I love them. This is like, wow, fantastic. And every time it goes to the direction, of openness and a brain uh, as um, omnipresence that is uh, omniscient, that is omnitransceiver, that you are filtering just the good stuff and you're passing on to other people. We don't have to wait until our beloveds die to actually tell them how much we love them. And we don't have to wait until everybody in the world understands that we love them too. I love you all. All of you. And a friend of mine, Andy, asked me, Marcia, what's the privilege to be loved by you if you love mosquitoes equally to humans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's precisely, there is no hierarchy and there is no um, prejudice and there is no privilege. When there is no prejudice, there is no privilege. You know, it's just like, I love everyone equally. And... And, and, and I love the multiplicity of our being. And I love uh, all the existence and even beyond life in places where life as we conceive does not exist. Existence exists in different forms. And even where there is nothingness, where I, I went eventually back to the tunnel of life when I died. And, and, and the tunnel of light and, 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 and this being, you know, just... Um, 
filaments of light floating. There's no floating up or down, you know, there's no time and space and then this amazing tunnel of light and a pure embrace of love and nothingness and that sense of totality or understanding everything and then embracing love for everything, including nothingness. Nothingness created nothing. From nothing, something was created. Is one of our cosmologies. Even the cosmology of causation places things in a linear way. Look at life or existence as if it had a direct linear way. They're multiplies. When you revisit your good memories as a child, when you read a good book that revisits the good memory of a child of someone, or someone who makes an animation about a little bee that you can relate to and you love that bee for its uh, struggles and overcoming the struggles and similar narrative to humans, you are anthropomorphizing other creatures. But when you love creatures for just the way they are, when you love an asteroid just because it is, <laughs> yeah. or nothingness, or all beings and individuals, and um, I used to do the toenails, you know, the pedicure of my grandmother because she had some cracks in the back, which are very delicate. You know, when you work in the land and sometimes work barefooted, you, you develop a, a very strong skin, but it cracks. Mm. And I remember when I was doing her, her feet, that I would be so careful not to draw blood, not to open those cracks. Do you understand? It still removed the hard skin. If you ever done someone's feet, you understand that people have different sensations and people are not very sensitized to it. So when you massage and you care for it, you do the nails. I used to make it, you know, very beautiful pink toenails for her. Yeah. <laughs> but my labor was more actually to reverse the process of the, the, the skin hardening, not to crack. And she used to say to us when we were kids around the table and she was serving us the magnificent food from the heart. She used to say, not to wet, not to dry. He says, what, grandma? You know, because it's like, for everything? What, what, what for? <laughs> yeah. You know, just, and she'll say, one day this knowledge will come heavy. She used to tell us so much stuff like this. So it's like, one day this knowledge will come heavy. She says, but what not to dry, what not to wet? She says, well, imagine if you're making people out of clay. If it's too wet, it will dissolve. If it's too hard, it will crack. Yeah. Grandma, what's that for? <laughs> One day you understand. Then <laughs> she'll turn around and then she'll cook more cassava, fry them. It's just like there was this wooden container on the table that it was never empty. You know, it's just like wherever there were kids around, the, 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 the cassava was going on and it was being made, you know. And then she told us how to kill cassava because the skin can be poisoned. So she was explaining what's a poison in nature for us. Sometimes it's a remedy for another creature. We are not to eliminate anyone or anything. Things are not just for our benefit, you know? Yes. And even our own nature, right now, listeners, I love you all. And I know that each one of you is similarly unique. There's something so special about you that even you have not seen it up to this point. When you're just going to pause, relax, breathe, breathe out longer than you breathe in. Be aware of the breath, be aware of the breath of life, of your existence. 
and be aware of the significance of the beauty of your existence. There's something that nobody else understands, only you. And that's why I use the example, Andy, of the cupcake that can cure cancer. If you see a child who's obsessed with cupcake, that should be of a particular color. Yeah. At the same time, is obsessed with the story of an uncle who died of cancer. This child can come out with a solution. You know, there are many people who are uh, unsung heroes and heroines in the world that have discovered many things. There was actually a young man that discovered uh, different, very cheap tests for types of cancer that before were so expensive that his uncle passed away and he could not assist. So he became a scientist. And I think at the age of 17, he came out with these, you know, little stripes of tests that could cost seven dollars instead of a thousand so more people could be tested for particular rare cancers so it's like there is something genius in you and also there is a fountain of love that the more you let it open you know instead of consuming consuming things and not being satisfied it's like when you walk down the streets who can you actually love without even saying it but if you're grateful to the person the store that's selling your food during this pandemic they're saving lives. The lorry drivers transporting the food. The people who have come to the food. These are essentials. And when they come to you, you know, imagine the chain of events that actually led for you to be able to appreciate that food, drink yeah. that clean water. Certainly. What can you do for the environment? What is it that is your intelligence, your capacity? It could be like Andy is doing, it's networking and making people weave this fabric of um, a dialogue that has got several revelations in between the lines. It could be that you you do something special and, and, and you love doing, you know, you love doing and you love sharing with people. Something that doesn't even have a name yet. What I do is mimesis, speaking simultaneously. There was no name until I started using this Greek word to say mirroring, but everything in culture, in art, is a mirroring reflection of reality. So there's a philosophical aspect to it. But invent a word for it if there's no word for it. And come out with your own cupcake that cures cancer and is delicious. And send me a one, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are all geniuses. We get busy looking at how we're supposed to be. Look, there's a lot of appearances now. But you know, when you really love someone, you don't mind that they are, you know, in a wheelchair, salivating and half unconscious or unconscious. When you love, you love fully. Whether that person is giving you anything or not. Whether that earth is giving you anything or not. Whether that universe is giving you anything or not. It's okay to love oneself and the totality of our being. You know, the between us of all the lines that make this wonderful book of our existence. The library our ancestors have created for us of not just words but the genetic code life itself which you are here yeah. and your you as a um what what is what 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 are you doing now what is your role now you were you. I can't say you were in politics. You're in various guises. What what do you do now? I write. I'm in the middle of writing books and composing music. I 
calibrate my sensibility in different ways. So certain things, they come out in writing, other things, they come out... I've collaborated with several collective books. I suggest everyone do their manifesto. I've done a manifesto with a group of people before and doing another one now. The one I used to criticize the artists for when I wanted glue. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm doing the manifesto. It feels like strange, but what it is, is we need to find new words for uh, you know an artist to have this cutting edge, but everyone can do it. Everyone. Historically, for instance, uh, if you collect right, right now in the schools, if you share information about environmental things, which everyone needs to know, you know, how to treat your river, grow food in the schools or whatever you're doing, the schools are open. And then you capture in, in art, you know, the children's drawings, writings. Um, it becomes historic in a way that was never before. Like our ancestors had cave paintings. We can now have all of this in social media with children's consent that they want to share. You can actually share historical times from the perception of children. You can share information in a way that was never done before. So what I'm doing is I started very gingerly and I start doing animation with clay. (laughs) Not too wet, not too dry, but I'm thinking of talking to children. So this is a separate project I've started recently. I'm writing two novels at the moment. And I'm composing music with the wonderful African artists. And I'm, I'm trying to find the balance where I go. Because when the pandemic's over, I would love to visit the entire world, sing and pray with everybody in different languages, and co-create and co-construct this beautiful new discourse and reality of a worldwide peace, of a world of equality, of work, a world of abundance, where we all together find the balance of how it's not so much you know like the nutrition that our children need in asia compared to the nutrition of our children in north america you know some problems junk food others issues with the the local agriculture whatever we have to actually look at what feeds the animals as well that makes them survive which territories must we withdraw to let them lead a more fulfilled life what kind of cities do we want to construct so a child who makes a little ball and say, this is a house. <laughs> Please, parents, don't criticize. Yeah. Maybe the next house will be a ball floating in the air and they will find a way. The kids are geniuses. <laughs> so creativity is paramount. So I'm working with books. I'm part of this manifesto is a collective, mainly of Portuguese speaking people in Africa, Brazil. And uh, I have collaborated with certain books which you know different people are sending images that represents this historical time of the pandemic and how people are surviving and i'm open to um, invitations like yourself and to talk to people when people want to talk about you know my humble perspective of the world my understanding of mental health it's not only that i work in the mental health care before is more to do with also the fact that i accept different perspectives and that's quite sane <laughs> it's quite good for society to keep a balance of accepting different perspectives and therefore if anyone invite me to also um, give a talk uh, give a presentation and and be interviewed i'm open to that too yeah and what would you say to people that may be struggling um with their mental health and um, you know, maybe a few a line or a couple of lines. What you'd say to 
what you'd say to people out there that may be struggling at the moment with mental health and, and how they can um, maybe rebuild their lives? I'll say, beloved, you are so special and wonderful in your own way that it's time to discover and to recover from whatever situation you are in biochemically you know, or bodies sometimes uh, create reactions which affect our mental health. Socially, you know, in times of isolation, one has more time with oneself and it's about transforming that moment. Of uh, social distancing, having to adapt, you are a wonderful adaptive being. Remember the words affect your biology. It's the small gift I can offer you. Is to say every day to yourself that you love yourself. To breathe with the integrity of your lungs and your person in this world, walking tall. And if you're in a wheelchair, rolling your rhythm. And feeling the beauty of every cell of your body, every part of your existence. And trusting that there is a healing in nature for everything. Trust. My grandmother used to say as well, and I share with you, beloved, because you also are part of all that. Trust your body speaks. So when you ask your heart, after doing the basic things, you know, 20 minutes exercise every day, even if you're just dancing while doing the washing up, communicating with people that you love, that love you back, but also not communicating sometimes is a wonderful way of, of finding oneself. Finding things that you love doing, eating healthy, looking up to yourself, and then rejoicing on every bite, every chewing, every 30 chewings you choose to do, if that way you feel inclined. So after the physiological catering of that, sleeping is a time of recovery. Learning new things, change your physiology, our brain, the way the neurons connect, and neuroplasticity, occur when we actually engage with new activities and new things we are experiencing. And after that, we have a nice, good sleep, a nice meditation. So what I'm saying to you is, once you regulate the biology in a way that only you can understand, ask your body, your body's plans, like my grandma says, this knowledge to you is here transmitted. She'll be so thrilled, it's like, oh my God, there was the time of the radio, now you're telling my things? in a podcast to people in Qatar and all over the world with all my love yeah <laughs> so my love for you and the love my grandmother have for life itself is the love that you have is the love that you are if you're struggling at the moment small incremental changes in your routine even like lifting your arms as if you your arms as if you feel victory over something like Hey, I went out and I bought toilet paper. Yoo-hoo! I am very brave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, celebrate, change the chemistry of your body. And then incrementally, look at yourself in the mirror, the inner mirror and the mirror of yourself in your existence. And just feel like, what do I want to do? What do I love doing? Where there is more love? And then you find that you're passionate for something and you do not have obligation to share with the world. But once you share with the world, you find that it's part of this magnificent 
composite. You know, whatever you do, there was that story I tell you that really moved my heart. It was a little girl, and she was so young that her parents decided not to tell her she was terminal cancer situation. Because she was too young, and they didn't think she would understand. Yeah. She had a younger sister. And once she passed away is when they start finding her post-it notes. She left everywhere, even in the Christmas box, where they opened the things to, you know, do the tree and the stuff. By the way, don't cut trees, this Christmas plant one. Christ would be much happier with that. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody. Um, so this child left post-it notes even for her younger sibling who could not read with the little drawings in places which she knew were important to them now if you have lived her age with that sensitivity you have lived a very 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 valuable life i have not at her age had her wisdom so when she passed away she healed the world not just her parents or her siblings she healed the world with her words and her little drawings and her little post-it notes. So imagine what you can do with your love. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And where can you be found if people want to speak to you? I've got my website, which I need updating. Uh, you know, when you spend a lot of time with the snails and the birds and the squirrels and the foxes yeah. <laughs> and the swamps and the ducks, you just, just like don't update your website. Um, it's www.marciamar.com. So when you look for Marcia Mar, you also find me on YouTube and, and, and different. Uh, the galleries have got some of my material but I, I'm trying to put more things together in the website that can be found Yeah. and I'm, I'm very happy to respond you know mental health is everyone's health it's not us individually but collectively society we move and we change the vocabulary as I said the emotions that we in, inhabit the emotions in which we share so every time we're doing something that's good for us is good for everybody. Everything we do in something that's good for everybody is good for us. Yeah. So I'm open to invitations working with this interconnectivity because it's very powerful. You know, even these little conversations we're having, the little podcast you're listening that has got love on it, has got healing on it. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be my grandmother's crochet. Yeah. <laughs> it could be Andy's crochet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And I'd like to say thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I'd, like you to, I'd like to have you back on to speak more at some point about um, the work you've done in mental health. It'd be nice to, to kind of go in more in depth with that. But I'd like to say thank you for coming on and, and you know, it's been enjoyable. You're the first person I've ever heard. No, you're the first person I've... You're the first person that has sung, has broke out into song on, a, on my podcast so thank you for coming on Andy. oh my love goes for everyone thank you Andy for this chance to connect with we are 
connecting, connecting, connecting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. And that was Men Are Nuts. Speak to you soon.